Welcome everyone. My name is Darren Snow and I am the senior pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Aurora, Illinois. And I am so glad that you are joining us for today's podcast of our weekly Sunday sermon. Amen. Amen. Let's give all glory to God this morning. Great things we have seen and, and have we not been blessed in the last year, Crossroads? Beyond, certainly beyond what we deserve. Uh, great things that we have seen, and yet there is, in fact, more to come, more to come. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want to welcome you to Crossroads Community Church. For those of you that may be visiting with us, uh, it's really strange this morning because due to the holiday season and it being uh, uh, New Year's Eve, almost said Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, we only had one service day, and some of you are really irritated because you came in and somebody was in your chair today. You're in church, so dig a deep breath, okay? Be grace-filled, be joy-filled. For those of you that are uh, watching us online, we got a ton of people out about. Matter of fact, every member of my family is out of town today except me. Uh, so we got a whole lot of folks that are out and about on the road, and uh, we want to pray for you. Matter of fact, we were praying for you this morning. Our prayer team gathered and just praying for traveling mercies that the Lord will bring you back safe and sound. And I'll echo what, I don't know, Sandra or Melvin said. Can you believe this is now the last Sunday on the last day of 2020. Amy, can you blame me over here going? Can you believe it's now the end of the year and we are moving into the new year? So, hope you had a wonderful Merry Christmas. Hope Santa Claus was good to you. And uh, we are looking year here at Crossroads. If you have your BIBLEs, and I hope that you do, I want you to open them up to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter preconceived kind of an answer. All right, but I want you to take a deep breath for the question that I'm going to give to you. So, Chopay, are you ready for that question? Yeah, Chopay's ready. Christopher, Millie, you guys ready? Got a big question for you. Okay, here it is for everybody. Who am I? Again, I don't want you to just jump to what you might, you know, because I'm asking you to ask that question of yourself. Who am I? I I'm not talking about what do you want to be. Uh, I'm not talking about your vocation. I'm not talking about a role that maybe you play. So the answer that I'm not looking for uh, would be, well, I'm a father or a mother or a sister or a brother or a friend or a teacher or an engineer or a salesperson, whatever it may be. But at its deepest level, heart level, gut check level, who am I? And I would say to you this morning uh, that that really is I don't think this is hyperbole on my part. It, it, is, it is one of the most important questions of your life. And why would I say that? Well, a couple of reasons. First is because what you believe about who you are, what you believe about your true identity, that's the word I'm looking for, what you believe about your true identity, the answer to that question is one of the things that is going to keep you steady in a world and in a culture that wants to dictate to you what your identity and what your sense of self-worth is. Hang on to that. We're going to come back and explore that here in just a bit. And also, and this is going to be the thread that we're going to pull this morning, and that is this. Because our identity directly affects our mission. I want you to chew on that. Our identity, what we know to be true about ourselves directly as Christians directly affects our mission in life. Let's jump into the Word and let's see what we can pull out of this. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. We're going to start out looking at just two verses, but keep your Bibles open because we're going to come back 
to Luke 3 here in just a moment. Let me read to you verses 21 and 22. Here we go. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Let's stop right there. Saints, this must have been a wild scene. Okay, some of us have read this a thousand times, but let's just, as always, let's take a moment, take a deep breath, and dig into this. Let me give you a little bit of context. You don't see his name here in these two verses, but just prior to this, what we see is that John the Baptist is preaching, and he is paving the way for the Messiah, who, of course, would be Jesus. And then he has this call to baptism, calling all of those who would want to respond to this simple message. And surprisingly enough, Jesus himself, the Messiah, shows up and wants John to baptize him, which, of course, he does. Now, if, if you keep your Bibles open and look at the text, at this moment of the baptism, we see three things. Here's the first thing that we see. We see that the heavens were opened. Now, if you go to um, the book of Mark... It's really interesting. The Markan version says this, that the heavens were torn open. Now think about what that possibly could have looked like, that the heavens themselves were torn open. Uh, it makes me think, I and mean, what was it like? Like some kind of a uh, Steven Spielberg movie back in the day, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's what I wrote down here. Everybody's old enough to remember that movie? And how it was just the sky. What was it like when the heavens were torn open? But the heavens opened, and now uh, what we see is that the kingdom of God was truly at hand. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing that we see is the Holy Spirit himself uh, descended upon him. So again, what was that like? I don't know. Hope we'll get a chance to you know, see a rerun of this in heaven someday. But literally, God the Holy Spirit, as a dove, descended upon Jesus and then the last thing that we see here is that a voice came from heaven, literally God the Father himself saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now can you just imagine what that voice Lisa must have been like? I, I, I was thinking about in time for our, our, our time together this morning, was it a whisper? Was it a thunderclap? Um, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it was, it was kind of the, the first coming of James Earl Jones. <laughs> right? Darth Vader. Right? I keep thinking that kind of a, this. I can't, I can't do a very good Darth Vader. This is my beloved son. Right? I don't know what it was like, but I guarantee you that was a moment that all of those that were that, they never, ever forgot it. And so what you have here, what this moment it was uh, at the baptism of Jesus now, what do we learn from this? Well, one of the obvious things that we learn in that way, actually we see more than learn, what we see here uh, is a glimpse of the Trinity. That's the first thing. It's pretty obvious. There we see truly uh, the three persons of the Godhead. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God, we call it. 
one of the absolute, more than just principles of our faith, uh, of our faith, but one of one of the truths and facts of our faith, being Trinitarian Christians: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But what we also see here that we pull out of the text of this, what we also see is the true identity of Jesus. The true identity. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, because we are Trinitarian Christians. Jesus, God himself, he was divine. And here's what I want you to just kind of, we're going to start with this, and this is the uh, the thread that we're going to pull, is this. Jesus knew his identity. Jesus knew exactly who he was even in in other words my that moment didn't it didn't surprise him right he didn't hear this thunderclap in this voice go oh i guess that's me I, i never knew that oh okay he knew exactly who he was this was just uh, an opening of his three years uh of ministry that was to begin with this to everyone that was around and it, again i'll say it it must have been a wild scene there when literally the hand of God, the voice of God himself, was shown. Okay, stay with me now, because there's more. Those of you that have your Bibles, if you look at verses 23 through 38, I'm not going to read all of those verses, but I've condensed it, and you're going to see this on the screen. So let me read this to you, starting with verse 23. And Jesus, when he began his ministry was about 30 years of age. So again, this is the beginning of his three years of ministry. He started when he was 30. He would be on the cross by the time he was 33. Being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, Mary's earthly husband, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, dropping down, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, that would be King David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, moving down, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, that would be the Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, our first father, a real human being, all right, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, this is really interesting, and if you're reading through your Bible, you might just blip right through this, but I've got a question. Um, why, why does Luke put this here? It seems almost strange. And you notice that that's verse 23, so it's obviously right after what we just read of verse 21 and 22. So why would Luke put the genealogy of Jesus right after the story of his baptism? Was that just coincidence? Was it just happenstance? I would tell you it's not coincidence or happenstance at all. What Luke is showing here, after the divinity of Jesus, he is immediately showing the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was born a human being, the son of Mary, descended from Adam. So while Jesus was himself fully God, Luke wants us to see that Jesus was also fully human. As we talked about last Sunday at our Christmas Eve service, Jesus was the God-man, the Son of God, God himself, again, the mystery of the Trinity, the only one, the only one who could do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves, who would take our sin upon himself, pay the price for that sin, go to the cross so that we could be set free, so that he would be and uh, uh, all that God the Father had called him to be and to do. And that was, don't miss this now, that was his mission on earth. 
That was his mission on earth. That's the reason why he came. So let's put these two together. Stay with me now. Jesus knew his identity. He knew exactly who he was. And he knew his mission. Okay? Just hang with me. They're saying, okay, that's cool. I'm beginning to get that. That makes sense. He knew his identity, and he knew his mission. But, Pastor, you started out, you know, this conversation asking us, what do we know about our identity? Who uh, Who am I? And all you've done so far is talk about Jesus' identity, and so you're losing me a little bit. Okay, point of truth number one. Here's what we're getting to. First step is this. Because you can never truly know who you are until you truly know who he is. Larry, I want you to leave this up here. Don't just blip through this, saints. I want you to chew on this. I want you to marinate on this. Let me say it again. You can never truly know who you are until you begin to truly know who he is is your identity there's our word again as a human being certainly your identity as a christian is dependent upon what you believe who and what jesus of nazareth was the one proceeds from the other you can think you know all about yourself but until until you truly come to grips with who Jesus was and is, you will never truly know who you are as a human being. So if I know who Jesus is, in the full sense of that term, what he accomplished on the cross and the empty empty tomb, then I can uh, begin to understand that new life in Jesus is possible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So if I believe this to be true, and even I would say even more importantly, if I have experienced this uh, for myself, then, stay with me, then my entire paradigm of my identity begins to change. If I know this to be true, if I have experienced new life in Christ, then my identity is no longer dictated by what the culture tells me. Stay with me now. I'm throwing a lot at you this morning. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment and don't overthink it. How does the culture dictate to us what our identity slash sense of self-worth is? I'm not asking you to say it out loud, but I want you to think. How does the culture dictate who we are, our sense of self-worth? You know them all. Again, don't overthink it. Uh, Let's start with this. Uh, How much money do you make? In our culture, I would say that's numero uno. Okay? How much money do I make? Just go down the list. Um, What kind of house do I live in? Oh, what neighborhood is that house located in? My family? My spouse, for those that are married, my children, uh, my friend group, the list goes on. Oh, here's one. I don't want to miss it. What do I do for a living? And we're all guilty of this. Somebody says, well, you know, I'm a salesperson. Well, we immediately, we we have thoughts that go in our mind. I'm a school teacher. I'm an engineer. You know, whatever it may be. 
But when we have an understanding of our identity uh, in Christ, um, then we understand that none of those things, which, by the way, none of those things are bad. There's not a bad thing with any of those, all right? But none of those things are the source of our identity. If they are, if you fall into this, and, oh, it is so easy to fall into, all right, then you're always kind of playing the comparison game. And I would even say that 99% of the time, we never measure up, especially in our Instagram social media culture. Because those, well, some of you are smart enough to, not to be on social media. I'm not that smart. <laughs> but when you look at social media, correct me if I'm wrong, there's always somebody who it appears on social media is happier than you. There's always somebody that it appears makes a whole lot more money than you. There's always somebody appears that has the perfect uh, uh, family, the perfect wife, the perfect spouse, the perfect 2.3 kids, the perfect dog. I would love to say that I could say uh, that I follow the perfect football team, but you guys know better than that. <laughs> if, you put, if you begin to play that game and your identity is based on the things of this world, ultimately in the culture in which we live, you will never measure up. But when you begin to understand biblically your identity in Christ, then you realize that as a Christian, my identity is not based upon any of those things, but rather my identity is based upon who I am in Christ. I'm a child of God. I have received the free gift, the free gift of salvation that I do not deserve, that I could never earn. I have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so because of those simple facts, I can rest securely in him knowing that he loves me unconditionally you see the difference it completely blows up the cultural paradigm let me give you a specific example of this and and i am not pointing the finger at anybody when i give you this simple illustration because this was yours truly for the for the tune of about 20 years those of you that call crossroads home you've t heard me talk about this before but this is why if your entire identity and sense of self-worth, for example, is based upon what you do for a living, and then because of whatever circumstances may happen, you no longer have that job, then what happens to a lot of people? Their world is completely shattered. And that was me. My identity was based upon the fact that I worked for this large, you know, I loved telling you my title, and I love for you to think how much money you thought I made, and all of those things, none completely crushed because their identity is in something other than who they are in Christ. Now, if you lose your job, and many of you have gone through that, some of you are going through that right now, it doesn't mean it's not a difficult situation. It doesn't mean that not a lot of stress. So I'm not downplaying any of those things. all right. But when your identity is in who you are in Christ, then if any of those things go away, you can still go through the hurt. You can still go through the realities, uh, through those realities. But you're not crushed. Why? Because you know who you are in Christ. You are a blood-bought son or daughter of the living God. And your realities in terms of vocation may have changed, but who you are in Christ hasn't changed a lick. 
And that's how Paul can say in Philippians 4 that we as Christians can have the peace that passes all understanding. Christopher can lose his job and deal with all the rallies that may go with that, but Christopher can still have a love and a joy and a peace, and people look at him like, you must be crazy. What, what, what are you, right? And Christopher can stand still with the realities of, of, of a job loss, but he can stand and say, I know who I am in Christ because my identity is in him, not in the things of this world. Okay, so stay with me. Based upon this truth, then we can gladly, willingly live for him and do whatever it may be that he is calling us to do. And here's a, a little caveat I threw in. And not really care what anybody thinks. Now that's easier said than done. But if I know who I am in Christ, it doesn't really matter that people may snicker or they may laugh or may they roll their eyes or whatever it may be because, you know, us crazy, wild, crazy Christians. All right? I can be the person of God, the man, the woman of God that he is calling me to be because I know who I am in Christ. And so let's put this together. So now then, based upon that reality, I can do my mission. So Joe, I can, Joe can do whatever it is that Joe is, uh, that God is calling Joe to do. I can do my mission based upon my identity, what I know to be true. I can do my mission based upon my identity in Christ. With me? Paul, you with me? One of the greatest examples of how these two come together we find in John 13. And what a shock, Jesus is the greatest example of this. Let me set this up for you. John 13, it's Good Friday. Jesus and his disciples are huddled in the upper room. And Jesus knows, because he's God, he knows what's going to happen in just a few hours. Uh, he's going to be betrayed. He is going to be abandoned. He's going to be arrested. He is going to be beaten almost to death. And then ultimately, he is going to be crucified. And so his heart is heavy, as you can imagine. But I would, I would add that I don't believe that the heart of Jesus was heavy only because he knew the what was going to happen to him physically. I think his heart was heavy as he looked around the room. At that point, all 12 are still there. And he knows that his disciples, who he had been with three years, 365, 24-7, that those 12 men still did not get it. As he looked around the room, knowing what was going to happen, he knows that those 12 men are still thinking in earthly terms, their identities are in their status. And why do I say that? Because the people hadn't turned on Jesus yet. Jesus was the next best thing since sliced bread. They had been singing just a few days before on what we call Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And what are those disciples thinking? They're thinking he's going to be the next king. They're thinking that he is going to be a political and a military Messiah and the good old days of King David and King Solomon are coming back. And we're right next to the future king. And so when the king sets up his kingdom, they're in their minds, they're jockeying for who's going to be, you know, the secretary of state, the secretary of the treasure, and on and on and on and on it goes. That's what they're thinking because they don't get it. They don't understand. So they are full of pride. They're full of ego. They're competing with one another. 
And you know the story. What a story it is. What we see in John 13 is, is one of the greatest examples of humility, I would say, ever recorded in history. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself did what? He got down on his knees and he began to wash the feet of those men. And let's not forget, he is washing the feet of those men who he knew in just a few hours were going to abandon him. And he also got down and he washed the feet of Judas, who was still there at the time, the one who is going to betray him. And every time it rolls around in a Good Friday and Easter time, and we at least look at that story, the one question that I have every single year when I look at that is simply this, how? How could he have done it? I'd like to think that I would have been able to do it, but I'm not so sure. How in the world could Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, get down uh, on his hands and his feet and wash the, the feet of the, uh, the job of, in that culture especially, but not far from this culture, uh, the, the job of a lowly, lowly, low. How in the world could he have done that? I think the key is in John 13, 3. Let me read it for you. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. He knew what? He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew. He knew exactly who he was, exactly what his identity was, and because he knew, then he could do. Because he knew he, he, who he was, then he could get down as a lowly servant and could wash their feet. Because he knew his identity, he knew exactly who he was and what the Father had called him to do, then he could do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Because he knew who he was, then he could go to the cross and fulfill his mission. You see it? Saints, let me pull this together. When we know who we are, which, by the way, always begins with having an authentic intersection with Jesus. This is not simply an academic or a mental exercise. When we know that we know that we know because we have experienced the power of God in our lives, And that God the Holy Spirit is living within us when we know who we are, when we have a full understanding of our true identity, then we can do whatever it is that Jesus is calling us to do using the example of Jesus himself. Then we can serve others. Let me put it to you this way one final time. Our identity, when we know it, propels our mission. Let me say it again. When we have a true understanding of our identity, our identity in Christ propels our mission. What does that look like in real life? 
We can love the unlovable. Anybody spend some time with some family members that may fall into the unlovable category? <laughs> Forget that. Anybody in your life that you got to take a deep breath? We can do exactly what Jesus calls us to do. We can love the unlovable. We can begin to forgive the unforgivable. Or if you and of you in this room have been wounded deeply by somebody, and you read the call by Jesus Himself to forgive, and you think there is no way on God's green earth, this side of heaven, I could ever begin to forgive that person. In and of yourself, you can't. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and having an understanding of who you are in Christ, you can do anything that God's calling you to do. So you can begin to forgive the unforgivable. You can begin to serve in ways that some people might and probably do think are beneath you. God taps you on the shoulder and says, you know, hey, it's, I don't know, time to get on the hospitality team. You might think, well, good gracious almighty. Really, God, that's what you're calling me to, to do is show up early and make coffee for everybody? God taps you on the shoulder and says, you know, it's time to get involved in children's ministry. And the first thing you think to yourself is children. God, I thought you had something big for me to do. When you know who you are in Christ and you know what God is calling you to do, Guys, listen to me. I, I mean, you, you can go anywhere. You can do anything. If God calls you to clean toilets, then you clean toilets for him, and you do so gladly, willingly, and joyfully. Why? Because you know who you are. So whatever it is that he's calling you to, we willfully, gladly, joyfully say, Lord, if this is what you're calling me to do, then I'm going to do it. As Christians, we gladfully, gladly, Willingly, joyfully live out the Great Commission. God calls us to go and make disciples. We're going to go and we're going to make disciples. And, and not playing the role of the victim in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We're going to go and make disciples. We're going to go and tell people about who Jesus is and what he has done. And we really don't care what people think. Why? Because we care what he thinks. And we know who we are in Christ. So when God whispers in your ear that it's time to go talk to that person in the next cubicle, they've been on your heart and mind for a long time, and you know that you know that you know as best as a human being can know that God's calling you to share your faith. You're going to take a deep breath, say a prayer, and away you're going to go. And if they laugh in your face and reject you, so be it. You've done what God has called you to do. And let the chips fall where they may. How can we do that? Because we know who we are in Christ. When we know who we are in Christ, then we can do whatever it is that God is calling us to. Okay, how do we apply this? Let's go back to the beginning of our time together. And I want you to ask yourself this question again. Who am I? Do you know? 
that you know that you know. Not what you do for a living. Not role that you may play at home. Not the amount of money in your bank account. None of those things in God's economy mean anything. But rather, truly, deeply, who am I? Question number two. Upon what have I built or am I building my identity? Have I fallen into the trap of old Pastor Darren? Have have I built my identity based upon the things of this world, which are temporal things? Or am I building my identity on eternal things, the things of God? Upon what are you building your life? And then finally, number three, especially as we end 2023 and as we move forward into a new year, based upon the things that I know to be true, based upon who I am in Christ, my identity with a firm foundation, what might God be calling me to as I move into the new year? Don't give a quick answer to that one. You may need to spend some time alone, some time in prayer, some time with your spouse or a trusted friend. But I know this, if you're a follower of Jesus and God the Holy Spirit is living within you, God is always calling you to something. We're all called to go and make disciples. We share that. But beyond that, based upon who you are, how he has wired you, your giftings, your talents, All of those things, God is always calling us to something, whatever it may be. What might God be calling you to in 2024? Upon who, upon what are you building your life? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. It's just, it's your word, it never changes. And so, Father, I'm praying today for all of those who are here in the auditorium this morning, and, Lord, for all of those who are watching us, that, Lord, that they would come face to face and come to grips with those three simple questions, Lord, that they would know who they are and that their identity, Lord, would be based not on the things of this world, none of which are bad in and of themselves, but, Lord, that their identity would be based upon, they they would be building their life upon their identity in you and upon that identity they will stand and upon that identity they will walk out in faith even as we move into a new calendar year lord god for those that are trying to figure this out give them wisdom give them discernment lord light their path lord for those that maybe have just started coming to crossroads and they're thinking that maybe this might be the church home for them and they're thinking where do i fit in What is that going to look like for me at this community of faith? Again, Lord, I pray that you will light their path, that you will give them wisdom and discernment, and you will lead them, Lord, into the place of serving and in the place of community that you would have them to be. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all praise and glory. And, Father, we are committed to building our lives upon you. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us this week. I really hope you enjoyed today's message. 
If you'd like more information on Crossroads Community Church, you can check out our website at crossroadsconnect.net. And if you are ever in our area, we would love to have you visit us in person at 3003 South Eola Road in Aurora, Illinois. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to having you join us again soon.